I didn't enjoy being a solicitor in many of the roles that I had. So it was either walk away from a profession that I've always wanted to do, or I thought, well, let me try it my way. Let me have an environment where people want to come to work to help clients who are passionate, maybe do the areas of law that I want. Was it idealistic? Was it naive? Probably, but it worked. <laughs> Women sometimes wear our own barrier. I don't find it naturally easy to brag, but if you're going to go for an investment round, you have to. And I think we need to empower women to say it's actually okay to shout from the roof how successful you are. It's not egotistical. It's not you not caring about your family. Welcome to the Success and Ideas podcast. I'm Richard Myron. This is the podcast where I pursue my interest in trying to understand success. How do you define it and how do you achieve it? Is it about good ideas, great leadership, luck or, or something altogether different? In this second season, we're talking to new and different personalities who've succeeded in new and different areas, often overcoming significant challenges and obstacles. Today, I'm joined by Karen Holden. Hi, Karen. Hi. It's a pleasure to be here in your in your offices in the city of London, the busy and somewhat noisy city of London outside this window. Karen's the founder of A City Law Firm, ACLF, an award-winning law firm. It's not your typical firm with hard-edged lawyers, but one that embraces a compassionate culture and aims to be friendly, approachable and accessible. Despite humble beginnings, Karen was determined to make her name for herself, and she did rising to the top of her profession with a master's degree from Cambridge. And she then went on to run the UK department of a busy international law firm. Despite these successes, one thing was missing. Karen wanted to start a family with her husband, Trevor, and was worried about the impact of having a child upon her job. So she quit her job and founded the ACLF in 2009 and not that long afterwards she had a baby boy among other areas of specialism aclf has carved out a niche in the lgbtq community uh, in issues around surrogacy and others thanks to the firm's pioneering work it's won several awards including most innovative law firm in 2016, the International Legal 100 and Business Law Firm 2017, as well as entry to the Legal 500. And Karen herself has received the Freedom of the City of London for her work for LGBTQ plus equality in 2019. Karen, what a range of accomplishments. We're sitting in your law firm here in the City of London. You've got floors below us with people working hard. You run this, you set it up, you've got a 10-year-old son now. I mean, describe your day. How do you pull all these, or pull all these uh, threads together and keep it all going? I think the variance of one day to the next is what's exciting. There's no standard day. So I can be at court, I can be at a networking event, I can be a crisis. There can be something fun that I need to do for my school, um, my son at school, or I can perhaps just be doing drafting work. I think every day is different and it's that variety that I love. I've got wonderful staff to energize me. And we're very collaborative here. There's not that hierarchy in a standard firm where I dictate, managers dictate, the staff do. We all talk, work, mentor, help each other. And I think that's a real 
inspiration for me on a daily basis. I get to train, I get to mentor, but then I also get to learn and work with people. So it's quite fun and exciting and fresh. And I think that's the most important thing that it, it keeps that way for a daily basis or else I would be shattered every night and going home miserable. And I, I don't very often do that. But you do have long, I mean, we were just talking before we started this interview, you know, you were out at a function last night, an important function, got home late. I mean, how do you find the energy to do this? I mean, are you sitting up in the middle of the night working on papers? How, how do you do it? The beauty of it is I can work my schedule around my life so I can travel, I can go out, I can see my family, but I can work around it. With my son, I've never missed sports day. I'm part of the PTA. You know, I, I do a lot with him. I still do all his homework. Me and my husband will go out once a week and have time with ourselves, you know, and we travel a lot. My son is always on holiday with us and I can work from overseas. If I go to see clients overseas, he's always there with me. So no, I, I and I can, I can work all day, work all evening and then make up for time in the weekends. Or I, like I said, I can go home, have a lovely dinner, watch a movie. They go to bed, put my husband and my son to bed and then work. It just means working different hours. And I think that flexibility is absolutely essential if you want to have a life and a work balance. And you'll find a lot of the parents that work with me, especially the mums, we all stupidly get on the phones at one o'clock, two in the morning, texting and emailing each other because that's our quiet time. That's the time where there's no distractions. There's no guilt. You're not feeling guilty that you're not with your husband or your child or it's just a lovely time to work. And I know that sounds mad, but we don't expect it. It's just for us, it works. <laughs> it seems to me that for working women, there is a lot of guilt. You know, my wife says to me, I don't know if I'm doing a good job at work or a good job, you know, with the kids. There's a sense that, you know, achieving that balance is very hard. It's not something generally that men grapple with. And I mean, is that just, do you think a fact of our our modern world or is this something that women have to kind of shed that guilt or I don't think the guilt will go away I mean women listening to this will probably resonate when the child says get off the phone mummy you're supposed to be with me mummy wish I could chuck that phone away mm. and when I asked my son I think he was six I said you know what do you want for Christmas mummy to throw that phone away wow. and I think I realized quickly if I'm on holiday I'm with you if I'm with you I'm with you so I've trained myself now to work away from him at set hours it doesn't always work that way if there's a crisis and I've had to educate him to say look the reason mummy can bring you on holiday and buy nice things is because of work and he understands that but I the guilt will never go away you know there are times where he shouts at me because I'm disengaged and I have to then come back into the room I don't think it goes away we just have to <laughs> compartmentalize our guilt <laughs> do you think that Women are better at achieving that, find that balance than men are. I think stereotypically men are told they have to work morning till night, extensive hours and networking. And that's just a, an institute that's been created in London for them to take time out for the school run or for the PTA isn't something naturally a man would feel comfortable saying to his boss, but that needs to change. I'm hoping that they can feel comfortable and that more do. And there is an expectation for a woman to do it and a wish for a woman to do it. But I think roles are blurring slightly. But I do think institutionally it's harder for a man to be able to say, well, I'm doing the school run, I'm leaving work early. What about, I mean, culture change? It's often said, you know, women do feel that they're pulled in different directions, you know, between being a mum, between 
work and so on that you know they don't have the opportunity to you know step up and come to the forum in business in work and whatever is it incumbent upon women do you think to change that or how does that change come about I've always been if I knock on a door and I'm not let in I'll actually smash it down or I'll walk around and find another way so I'm not the sort of woman to say um, it's a male-dominated world, I can't get in, or I haven't got the capacity, I will find a way. Women sometimes wear our own barrier. We think, oh, we can't do that. Perhaps we don't have all the skills to do that. We're frightened to stand up and shout. Um, I don't find it naturally easy to brag, but if you're going to go for an investment round, you have to. And I think we need to empower women to say it's actually okay to shout from the roof how successful you are. It's not egotistical. It's not you not caring about your family. And my biggest bugbear last night, I said to the women, why won't you stand up and pitch? Why won't you break the barriers? Why won't you come and stand and talk to me? But that's not for everybody. And I appreciate that. And there's many barriers placed upon us. So I think you've got a couple of things going on. I think it's women not asking for as much or pushing enough. You've obviously got childcare issues to actually leave the house and physically do this. Um, But I also think we need to change the way that the city looks at men as well. I mean, if we're not going to give them paternity leave or time off to pick up the kids, how can their wives do it? Yeah. I think women need to shout out more, stand out more, push harder. I think men need to continue to welcome us and interact with us because if we're going to achieve equality when we can bridge the gap we need to be working together collaboratively and i i'm seeing more of that and i want that to continue and there's a lot of times where i'm stood on a stage talking and i'm the only woman i'd love to see more up there there are wonderful powerful women out there who can talk we just need to get them up front but do you think that's also okay so there's an assumption that women will do certain things even today right don't you think? Yes. So there's an assumption. Okay, so here, I think my wife, in fairness, does more because there's an assumption built in. Mm. And I probably could do more. That's a guilty secret. So my husband does all of this with me, the PTA, does all the school runs. But he's he's he works three days here and then he does the, the child side of things. So we have a very different relationship mm. turnaround. And my son's never going to know anything other than equality, <laughs> you know. And interestingly, he won an award yesterday, and I haven't seen it yet, for doing a pitch to the headmaster for gender-neutral uniforms because one of his friends didn't want to wear a skirt. She's a tomboy. But the fact that my passion in quality is passed down to mm. my son yeah. without it being overt, I love that. What do you think he's learned from you in looking at you as his mum? I know he is very much about equality, which is, I'm so pleased about that. He understands men and women are equal and they can do what they want. I know for the LGBT side, he's grown up completely and utterly comfortable with everything and anything. He understands surrogacy, transgender, at an early age of 10. He understands everyone's right to be who they are. I think also my balance is he's going to have a bit more of a privileged background for me because he's got the money to go to the good schools and things but I want to keep him humble so he still has to do his chores I still get him to do hampers for care homes we do cards I want him to see that people aren't as fortunate as him so I think hopefully he's got a nice balance and I'm hoping he learns his job is to do well but he also has to look after others as well as he grows but he wants to be an astronaut, so I'm not sure how he's going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you have to balance it with something else. <laughs> yeah. You talk about asserting, your, or women asserting themselves. But, I mean, in 2009, in the tail end of the Great Recession, you set up your law firm. You, you left a secure job. 
and you built up this law firm, you know, which is now on the edge of the city of London. I mean, I, I described in the introduction what led you exactly to do that, but it's the facts belie sometimes the emotions that are involved in that. It must have been A, scary, and you must have been B, very determined to, to do that. Determined and nuts, I think, actually, if I'm honest. I didn't really appreciate how hard and difficult it was going to be, and it was three years, very, very traumatic three years. I don't know if I would have done it if I'd known what was coming, but I'm glad I did, and I'm, I'm over that now, and I'm very happy with what I did. I've always wanted to be a solicitor since the age of eight. And obviously that's evolved and changed as to what a solicitor is in my mind. But it wasn't what I came to London to do when it was to the bottom line, when it was all about taking as much money, dragging clients through courts to make money. I didn't enjoy being a solicitor in many of the roles that I had. So it was either walk away from a profession that I've always wanted to do, or I thought, well, let me try it my way. Let me have an environment where people want to come to work to help clients who are passionate maybe do the areas of law that I want. Was it idealistic? Was it naive? Probably, but it worked. <laughs> so, and actually the recession really helped because larger clients that were spending, you know, good sums of money with the larger firms started looking for cheaper options. They came over, they could see that I could do the work just as good and they stayed with me. So we ended up pushing forward and punching above our weight very early on. And that's really solidified the firm, the client base, the finances, but yeah, it was just a matter of finding a culture that I wanted to work within. How did you want to fashion your business differently from what you'd experienced in the workplace before? Obviously, solicitors need to be paid. We're not a charity, but what's really important is transparency. So we try to do fixed fees, capped fees, monthly retainers, so that when somebody engages us, they know exactly what they're getting and what they're paying. And it's a long-term relationship because it's got to be based on trust. We've got to feel that the client's working with us and we're working with them. There's also then that friendly, approachable, it's like a small business. I don't want to be a large entity where you meet me once and then you never see the same person again. I want them to come in, feel part of the family, know the team, have a trusted advisor. People thought that was very naive. They all said small businesses, small law firms were never going to make it. But I think a lot of people still want that. They want the advice not the drafting they want the commercial advice not the documents you know they, they need all of it and I think that's the culture that we've created I spoke in the introduction about this image of law as you know particularly city law firms of having you know sharp elbows and hard edges and so on what about the people you recruited and, and the message you gave to your staff what were you trying to convey when you took people on and the culture you have created in this law firm I mean, getting the human resources right is very difficult. You know, I've, I admit that I've made mistakes, but I've also had some amazing people along the way. I mean, Jackie Watts, for example, she joined as a criminal barrister. She had to do three months in a solicitor's practice to convert. She's never left. She's been here now nine years and she's been promoted as a director because she could mentor me and me mentor her because she had the passion for law and the clients. She's excited. She loves networking. So it's about having that appreciation of what we all want to achieve, which is we're entrepreneurs, we want to do well for the clients, we want to have the excitement of new areas of law, creating new law, changing the law. So it's it's drive, it's passion, and it's not being, 
sitting at the desk being fed work and a piece of it it's the excitement that I think of all the different areas of law and having a willingness to learn a lot of people here come in and they get a, a raft of work where it's not just one area of law it's not just a piece they have to really learn on the job and you sink or swim in that and the, those that swim love it you're very generous with for example holidays I mean, you offer 40 days leave is that right? Yeah, so summer on 45, summer on 35, and then we close over Christmas. So with bank holidays and Christmas, they tend to get between 35 and 45. That's significantly more than you would find at law firms not very far away from here. So are you therefore accepting that you know your profits are going to be lower because people are taking longer holidays? What's the calculation you make in that in, in terms of offering your staff these significantly longer holidays? I think to recruit good staff and retain them, you need to be very flexible. You need to understand what motivates them. And it's not automatically just money. You know, some people want the passion of law. Some people want time to travel. And I did find that when I was growing up in London, I wanted to travel and I didn't have enough annual leave. And there was nothing worse than having to save up for that period. So I just think, well, actually, let's give people a reason to come here, a reason to stay here, doesn't eat into the profits because we just work hard and enjoy when we're here, doesn't really make a difference because if somebody's had a week off, they come back energized. We're not selling a product. So if we were selling a product, we could make mass volume sales, but we're selling people. So there's only so many hours in the day. So I don't want to exhaust my team. I don't want to be doing half-hearted work. So it's more a case if they're happy, the clients are happy, I think it just creates a culture of working together and that passion is what keeps the profits alive as opposed to set hours, set days. But we don't have that target drive that other firms do. You don't have to do five-hour billing a day. It's just culturally we do right for each other. We do right for the departments and we do right for the clients and that seems to work. What have you found hardest in terms of achieving your success? So I, two, three years ago, I did a mentoring program myself and you have to hold up a mirror and you have to say, these are your weaknesses and this is what you have to do about it. These are your strengths. This is what you have to do about it. It was challenging because I have always been very, very soft as an employer and I tried to change and I didn't. So people were saying getting manager involved and delegate to a management team, which I've done. it's recognizing your weaknesses and I think you have to be ready and you have to be willing to accept them and then change and that takes some time it takes you know a lot of hard doing and hard graft but I did that accepting you know that the law is a very strange industry it's hard to break down 125 years of the larger firms I'm not going to make work for myself on the golf course I'm not going to do certain areas of law because of the restraints on me so I just have to find different ways and accept that and go around it which is what I've been doing. I mean you're clearly very passionate and you've said this about the law you didn't grow up with a legal background with law in the family in the introduction I said that you came from from humble beginnings so what inspired you or who inspired you to follow this path? My mum has never pushed me into anything, but she's always she's always worked so terribly hard that I've always had the drive and the passion to be a hard worker. But I also saw how people treated her, the lack of respect, the hours she did. And I wanted to grow up, obviously being self-sufficient, but also to look after her. And there was a moment where a surgeon was talking to me in a hospital and I was a student from Cambridge 
cleaning for a summer holiday and he was so respectful and he was so interested in my career and then my mum came in um to clean and the way he spoke to us probably the most derogatory rude awful experience I'd had I said that's my mum and he's oh sorry 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 but the way that he looked at her versus the way he looked at me I wanted to grow up in a world where I could earn money I could be him but I wanted to give ultimate respect to everybody from the cleaners and upwards and I've achieved that I moved my mum down to London got her a house in London I guess that's what I did it for really to be up there with everybody else but to look after people and show people you could do it the right way so your mum your was a, a cleaner and she encouraged you with your studies? Yeah, I mean, she, she struggled. She did two jobs to try and pay for us to go to university. Um, we were lucky at the time to have grants. But yeah, it was very, very difficult. There was time saving up pennies to pay for fish and chips because that was going to be my last meal that week. I had to work all the way through university. Um, it was It was tough, but I just always wanted to live in London, be a solicitor, just something I've always wanted to do. <laughs> what was it like then for you going to, you know, to Cambridge where you've got people who come from very privileged backgrounds? Was that intimidating? No, I'm very rarely intimidated, but it was difficult. Um, I didn't fit in. Yeah, it was difficult, but I learned a lot. I, I learned how to walk among people that I, some I aspire to be, some that I really didn't want to be. Uh, money does certainly doesn't bring happiness or respect you know I saw everything and the international students in Cambridge really enlightened me that was fantastic to meet people from all over the world it opened my horizons it made me even more passionate to do this so I could travel I I found Cambridge exciting and exhilarating but yeah it it was challenging it was challenging you know and I couldn't afford to go out for all the fancy meals that my friends were doing but it just it just drove me more forward (laughs) When you set up a city law firm, you focused on social issues. Was this deliberate, this follow-on from what you were saying about, in a way, ensuring that people who are often forgotten are taken care of and are given the proper treatment? What what drove you on that? So we are an all-servicing firm, so we do do the company commercial, the litigation. But what happened is many, many years ago, I did one of the first HIV discrimination cases, and I realized how harrowing some people's lives were, how they were denied insurance, how they were treated. So it's an area I started moving into and and realised that there were communities within, especially in London, but even around the UK that were not being looked after. And people were afraid to address these issues. So the equality, then modern families, the surrogacies, the LGBT, the discrimination, it almost followed me because of the circles I was in, because of the work I was doing. And I I just felt I actually could make a difference. So we've changed law on a number of occasions. We've turned a judge's mind on occasions. We've got charities involved. The impact that you have, it's, you know, obviously doing commercial work and changing a business is fantastic. And it is exhilarating. And I love that. But to change someone's life, the better. While still being in a corporate law firm, it's win-win. You know, you get to do both. You get to have commercial clients and individuals and to save people to help people I mean it's just a fantastic thing to be able to do and I don't want to lose that I mean I look at at you Karen and I see you know you've been so successful um I suppose my question is is where do you go from here because it seems like if there was a tick box in terms of accomplishment you've ticked them and you've ticked them you know young what's what's your aspiration 
Um, not so young, but <laughs> <laughs> younger than me. <laughs> um, I I want to obviously keep feeding the law firm and growing it, but I'd like some of the directors to move up and, and take over the firm and me more do the strategy and the networking. I'd like to set up a business that feeds into the firm by helping young businesses grow, mentor them, accelerate them, help them with funding. I would also absolutely love to help women in business to, again, encourage more women to talk, to pitch, to develop their businesses. So I want to work with the city as much as I can, maybe even get involved in politics, see see if I can aspire more women to do this. Karen Holden, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. So that was Karen Holden. And a couple of things stood out for me. One of which is the fact that Karen is in a way unashamed of her success and of embracing her success because she's done it on her terms and she's done it with her own drive. And it's taken her from quite a modest upbringing to Cambridge and now to founding a city law firm. The other thing I think which is very interesting for me about Karen is what she sees as the bottom line. The bottom line for her is not only financial, but clearly there is financial success built in there as a component of it but it's also about serving something else for her employees so that they can take 40 days a year holiday as opposed to 25 and have a quality of life so that she can serve communities that she feels have been marginalized or overlooked by the law like the lgbtq plus community and also promoting the interests of women in business Karen, in her own terms, and indeed in the terms of others, has to be classified as a great success. And she hasn't stopped there, as we were hearing. She has aspirations to carry on. If you've enjoyed this programme, then listen to others in this series. And, and also, please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, share and rate this programme. I'm Richard Myron. The producer of the series is Anouk Mie, and it has been an Earshot Strategies production. All the best. Listener.